Hi, this is Brad Sham, the voice of the Dallas Cowboys. Please join me in Fort Worth on April 1st for the Texas Lyceum's public conference on the big business of football in Texas. Visit BigTexasFootball.com for more information. Texas Talking Ah, what was that that you said? Texas Talking Ah, gonna hoop upside your head. Texas Talking Tell me who can you trust when Texas guys are in Texas Hey, this is Maureen Dowd from the New York Times. And I would just like to say, after I got back to D.C. from South by Southwest, I had to go to bed for 24 hours because Evan Smith and everyone in Austin is too much fun. Um, so, now I'd like to introduce your host, Ross Ramsey. Thank you. This is Ross Ramsey here with the TripCast for the third week of March. I'm joined by Evan Smith. I was hoping you would pause dramatically. <laughs> chief and CEO of the Tribune. Hello, Ross. <laughs> Julian Aguilar, one of our reporters. Howdy. Another of our, our reporters, Jay Root. Hello there. I, I'm a little, I have to tell you, I'm a little kind of like intimidated. You've got like the Jay-Z and Beyonce of border security reporting here. Well, here we are. Right? And so I'm a lo- but a lowly contributor to this podcast. It's, it may be the main issue of the political race, but let's, let's start with the primaries last night. We're taping this on Wednesday morning. Big night for Hillary Clinton. If you listen to him, a big night for Ted Cruz, although um, if he won anywhere, it was Missouri and the results aren't in yet. Um, I actually think Trump is still ahead in Missouri, right? Yeah, he's by about 1,700 two, votes. 2000, yeah, yeah, Missouri was down to, honestly, two precincts in the whole state, and they couldn't yet call either the Republican or the Democratic I think Hillary Clinton's up right now, as we sit here, uh, up by 2,000 votes. I mean, in, they both were just like In any case, everybody, coin gets, flips. everybody at the top gets delegates, I guess. Right. So um, For David Simpson, that would be a landslide. Yes, right. Seriously. <laughs> 2,000 votes. Like what? So, Mr. Ticket, how's this race looking? Uh, I think we're looking at a contested convention, which is the subject of our next trip, of our next podcast, The Ticket 2016. We talked to Steve Munisteri about the rules, which are, are so complicated. You know, the average person out there really has the expectation that there is democracy within these primaries. And, and when you start to look at it, it's like there are all of these, uh, you know, rules upon rules. There's Rule 40 that says that you have to win eight states in order to even be taken up into uh, the, on the first ballot. Right. At a, at a they, can, they can change, they can change those rule rules. Rule. I know, but I mean, you know, think about but you're right. this in, in the social media age. Uh, and then the, the last time we had a, cont- a contested convention was 1976. Um, and I've, I, I don't see any scenario uh, unless, you know, basically Ted Cruz and, and John Casey go, OK, Trump, you go ahead, you take it. I don't see any scenario under which he walks into the convention with 1,237 delegates. So Boehner, John Boehner, the former Speaker of the U.S. House, last night apparently at a private event said, my, even though he's a publicly endorsed Kasich, he said apparently last night. That's his know, governor. My, my, right? my yeah. preference is that uh, uh, Paul Ryan be the winner at a contested convention. Well, the problem with the Paul Ryan theory, which we've been talking about on this podcast for some time, is that Paul Ryan, according to Rule 40, could not be the contested convention's choice unless a rule change happened or unless it kicked ba- past the first ballot. And he would be in the chair too. So yeah, the whole right. thing. What's I mean, what's the you difference? know, pe- people are people up. are going to say like, "Y'all took this away from him." I mean, what's the difference between a brokered and a contested convention because the line's been for a while that hadn't had a brokered convention since 52 
on one side and 48 on the other. And, and you know, the 76th uh, yeah. convention was the co-presidency race, right? I actually asked Munisteri that question for our podcast. Um, and basically, a contested, a brokered convention is a contested convention, but a contested convention isn't necessarily a brokered convention. Oh, my God, convention. this is like all cats have four legs. What is that? <laughs> no. My head is now beginning to ache. Well, basically, oh, con- contested problem. means you go into a convention right. without the requisite number of delegates, and it looks like we're headed for that. A broker just means that you do a bunch of horse trading to right. get to that, uh, which, you know, you could have a contested convention and somebody could just win on the first ballot. Um, Jay, Jay makes a great point yeah. that the, the, the issue here is going to be um, the old days when you might go to a convention and it'd be a bunch of big fat white guys with cigars in a back room making a decision, pulling strings, um, w- that will never happen. It won't happen because the politics of the world have changed and it won't happen because in the age of, of media, um, there's absolutely no way to do anything like that and have it be Secret meetings are hard. Transparency, <laughs> right. Um, I think the larger issue is that if the Trump people, and Trump will go into this, barring something that we're not able to see right now, Trump goes into a convention with the most delegates of anybody. Probably not 1237, but probably... A thousand, maybe 1,100. Maybe a thousand, and, and, and a couple hundred better than Cruz. I mean, again, right. barring something unforeseen as, as a wrapper around this. Yeah. He goes in there, and they take the delegation away from him. This is going to be Chicago in 68. You're going to have a, bunch of, you're going to have a <laughs> bunch of people breaking i mean people are already breaking heads now right. how much can the right? establishment the you know quote this, unquote, this is soft core porn for the media i mean we love this this is right. like right this is the going to be the greatest thing of all time i think it's going to be really really bad for the country whatever the outcome is but from the press's perspective i mean i know we're salivating over being able to watch this kind of a fight in a convention but geez, how much can the quote unquote establishment oppose the voters of its own party well, I mean, again, if Donald Trump's the favorite yeah. of the voters so far, at some point the establishment right. has to look up and say, wait a minute. Well, the, the other thing that I think is a curious dynamic is that if Mitt Romney had had, you know, to say a month ago what what uh, Donald Trump was looking at, everybody would have said, oh, he's the presumptive favorite. Right. And, and, then, and then you would have basically the media would sort of coalesce around him, the Republicans would coalesce around him. Well, there, that's not happening. There's no coalescing uh, within the Republican Party around Donald Trump. And so... And, and in fact, yeah. to, to, to one point that is now often made, was made last night by Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz basically says, and others say, that the media is to blame right. for Trump. We in the media, we, not us personally, but we in the I general I think it's probably sense, you personally. If you we, in a, we in a sense in the media have given Trump more airtime than anybody else, have taken this guy more seriously than anybody else, and that we in the media bear responsibility for not kneecapping this guy back when it was possible to do so. This is what Dewhurst said about Cruz. Right. The, reality, <laughs> the reality is that if the media were truly on Trump's side, the media would be doing exactly what you say, Jay, the media is not doing. The media has not talked about Trump as the presumptive nominee in the sense that you're saying. If it were anybody else, we would basically have called this thing over some time ago. We would be regarding Ted Cruz's Santorum, right, if this were the 20, through the 2012 lens. The fact that the media has been skeptical about the endgame here regarding Trump is, to my mind, proof of lack of bias, 
not proof of bias because if it had been anybody else, we would be saying it's over. Right, and because because at the very beginning of this race, when you know, uh, or the relative beginning, when Rick Perry said that he was a cancer on the party, is that not a story? Of course, we're going to cover also, that. Also, right? also, mean, why are we taking John Kasich seriously? Now, I don't mean that in a literal sense. I don't want to you know get a flaming bag of shit on my doorstep from John Weaver, but but because but, he's the guy right now keeping this from getting twelve hundred and thirty-seven. Math, ma- mathematically, John Kasich would have to get more than one hundred percent of the remaining delegates to be the nominee. Right. He cannot get he cannot get the delegates. If this whole thing were truly over in the minds of the media, we would be disregarding Kasich's uh, seriousness. We wouldn't have kept uh, we in the media would not have co- covered the Kasich speech live and given him the kind of loving treatment he got last night. Except- the idea that the media has pronounced this race over is just. BS. Well, except that Kasich is the reason, or one of the big reasons, why you can't get to 1237. Exactly. He's the fly in the ointment. That's why he's the story. You know, the media's bias is for a fight and for a conflict and for also, we what's— can, we can count. For what's broken right? here. And what's count. broken here in terms of, you know, if you're Cruz or Trump, the thing that's, you know, you can't get rid of, that annoying little gnat, is named John Kasich right now. The, the reports yesterday, Jay, said that even, even if, if Ted Cruz loses, he could still win. That was if Rubio and Kasich both bowed out. Obviously, that's not the case. So what does Cruz do now? Well, that, that's the thing is that actually I think Kasich helped Trump uh, because— I, Oh, definitely. I, I mean, I, yeah, oh, yeah, I mean, because it, it remained split. And, and I—Cruz did not have a good night. I mean, he needed to get some surprises here. I mean, he maybe he'll, maybe he'll actually win Missouri, you know, when, when all is said and done and the overseas ballots come in, maybe he'll win. Right. But— it, you know, it's still it's good. all about delegates, still. right? I mean, the de- the delegate. You know, everybody always talks about the delegate math or whatever. It really it matters this way in a in a way that it's never mattered since I became a reporter. So, er- so. Eric Erickson, no, pardon me, Rush Limbaugh. Pardon me, I, I have to keep my that's a funny that's gra- a funny mental My list. conservative grassroots radio talk show host in line here. I have to remember which one I'm talking about. Rush Limbaugh said yesterday, you know, an implausible and unsupported shot across the bow. If we get to a contested convention, the establishment is going to make it so that the eventual nominee will be Jeb Bush. I no more believe that the eventual nominee at a contested convention will be Jeb Bush than, frankly, I believe it'll be John Kasich. And the reason is, if they're going to have a contested convention in which the people who are at the top of the delegate list are not the nominees, they're going to go off the board. What justification can they make for giving somebody who was rejected by the majority of his own party that we're going to bring somebody back from the—we're going to revive them from the dead? Yeah, that's that's crazy. That just seems crazy to me. Yeah, it's good talk radio, though. I mean, you know, anything could happen at a at a contested convention, but anything can't happen in the real world. Well, where you people could be the are, nominee. Well, yeah, but we're we're Route twenty sixteen. I'm I all in. For you. I'm all in. Yeah, would you? <laughs> yeah, you're a pledge delegate or a super delegate? Actually, around here, Route twenty sixteen sounds like a delegate. sounds like a highway. I'll be, somewhere. I'll be your DHS secretary. The, they are limited. Oh, great. <laughs> oh yeah, my God, Hillion, head of Homeland Security, Morgan Smith, Secretary of Education. Absolutely. We fill out the cabinet for the rest of this podcast. Throw out, throw out everything run for, else. Run for your life. I love this. <laughs> Edgar Walters, Secretary of Height. There you go. Abnormally, freakishly tall height. While we're nominating people, let's talk about Merrick Garland. <laughs> really? So, yeah. Just for a second. You know, how does this thing play out? I, I'm curious about the—this uh, is the proposed nominee. I guess we'll know as we're taping this. We'll know officially in six minutes. But Merrick yeah, Garland— Everybody leaked it, although Reuters— uh, Posted this morning at 8.15 that it was going to be the other guy, and then they had to take it back. Oopsie. We assume it's going to be this guy. So how does this play out? You put a face on the on the nominee. We've had a faceless argument. He'd, be the, oldest, a he'd argument. be the oldest nominee to the court in 40 years. 
He's been approved. He's how old? He's 60, I think 63. Uh-huh. He's been approved by Republicans for the current seat he holds. He's on the, the chief DC, judge on the D.C. DC circuit. appeals court right. uh, or previous uh, uh, before. He is a centrist by disposition compared to a lot of the other people who have been in contention. This is basically chin music from the president. He's giving them a nominee who, under any other circumstances, they would approve. And, in fact, one of the interesting lines of conversation already this morning is if Hillary wins, right. that in December the Senate will come right back into uh-huh. session and approve Merrick Garland because they realize that if Hillary ends up being the president, Secretary Clinton, and she gets in and gets to make an appointment, it is sure to be somebody more liberal right. and possibly with a Democratic Senate right. as opposed to the current composition of the Senate in December. Um He's been in consideration before. He's been the shortlisted. The Democrats could probably block that. Though, well, they probably they? could. It's be ironic if they did. He's been shortlisted twice, pr- twice previously for the Supreme Court. This is probably this is probably his last um, lap around the track. Well, you've got to find somebody who's willing to take, you know. Right. You've got to find somebody who's, who's willing, willing to, to be the sacrifice. I'm the, willing the to be nominated shield. and not get the gig. Right? right. So John Cornyn said last Monday, a week ago plus, that whoever the president nominates is going to be a pinata. He compared mm-hmm. that nominee to a pinata. This apparently has driven the White House bananas. Um, they consider Cornyn's. They, they consider Cornyn. My read is my read of this. They consider Cornyn to be an not adult. one of them. He's an Cornyn's adult. Cornyn's an adult, and so Cornyn is embracing the narrative that anybody that the president sends up is automatically DOA. Well, and my Cornyn said that, specifically, "We're going to whack at this person like a pinata." I, you know, there was an argument here as whether as to whether he was. Um, just saying, just making an observation or making a prediction. You know, he, he wasn't necessarily saying, I've got my bat ready. He was saying, you know, this could be a mess. Yeah. You mentioned the pinata. You may as well have your bat out and you may as well be in the car. You're from Texas. Stance. It's a pinata. You what know, are you going to call it? Is. Yeah. Um, th- there's Crash test there's, dummy. there's what do you basically want? no way for the president, in my mind, to lose this fight as I look at it because he puts up somebody according to the powers of his office and the Constitution. The Constitution doesn't say president only gets to a nominate people to the Supreme Court for the first three years of his second term. And there have been a, and in fact, there's already a Twitter feed at SCOTUS nomination right. that the president and the White House have started. At where SCOTUS nom, right? Yeah. Or at SCOTUS nom, where they're beginning to put out the kind of intellectual framework for this nomination. And one of the things they said was, I don't know, more than a dozen uh, Supreme Court nominations have been made in the last year of a president's term. The idea that right. this is the, last the time first the Senate, time this has happened is preposterous. And The last gonna, time the Senate refused yeah. to vote was in 1875. Right. Right. So, look, the president has to nominate. That's his job. The Senate gets to to weigh and uh, give a thumbs up or a thumbs down on the nomination. And if the Senate chooses to exercise its responsibility or power here or authority here or obligation here by not having hearings, then it'll be up to the voters to decide whether they think that the Senate has, has uh, screwed the pooch or not. You're Donald Trump. Your sister's a moderate federal judge. What do you say about this? Whatever it takes delay, to get Delay, delay, delay. That's what Whatever he said. Whatever it takes to get elected. Um, I, I don't. What do you think that is, though? I, I think the the Senate Republicans kind of walked into a trap. They should have just they could have just slow played it and said, you know, we'll hold hearings, you know, after the convention, and then you know it's taken a long time, and then you know read the tea leaves and see whether or not Hillary Clinton's going to win. I mean, I, I you know a little real politic. I thought that there would be some more of that, but instead it was this. Right. You know, we're definitely not going to do this, and that. I think that actually inures to the White House's benefit. Really. Interestingly, if the Senate was concerned about Donald Trump losing the election in the fall, they would take this guy and go, we're not going to get a better deal. And right? I think they might end up doing that like in a lame duck session, like you said. Well, I mean, that's the thing. And, you know, does you, it you cost have to... the Senate anything to just say, never mind reverse track, let's just go ahead with this? Yes. What's it cost them? 
Who does it? They, they, it, they it, look it, like they, they look lose, like a bunch uh, of they compromising wine swilling surrender monkeys. They lose. They lose. You know. 75 hours of talk shows, but do they lose anything politically? Well, the, what they're worried about is some of the seats that are up for re-election, like Charles Grassley. I mean, everybody was right. concerned that uh, there was a, a woman, Jane, I can't think of her last name. Yeah, she Jane was a, she, yeah, she was a, uh, she was a criminal a, defense lawyer. Right. Yes, and it and turned out, it was a New York Times story yesterday that said that she had fallen, Jane Kelly. Jane Kelly. And that she had fallen down the list of potential nominees because of a couple of rulings that she had mm. uh, uh, delivered from the bench that seemed to be soft on crime. There was apparently some super PAC gearing up to attack her on right. a couple of her clients? Well, pr the, the president was being crafty if he was indeed considering, we don't know this, we think, considering Jane Kelly, who was an Iowan, so one of Charles right. Grassley, the chair of the Judiciary Committee's constituents, or right. the African-American judge who was um, who was a uh, woman who was um, related by marriage to Paul Ryan. Right? He was, he was playing the kind of personal connection card right. uh, conceivably. Uh, uh, look, <laughs> There's absolutely – you talk about the Senate. Well, I think the Senate is – you know, depending upon who the Republican nominee is, the Senate is, is in, play, in play. Absolutely right? in play. But, you know, is Mark Kirk, who is in a tough fight against uh, Tammy – what is her name? Tammy, Tammy Duckworth. Oh, okay. Tammy Duckworth yeah. in, in Illinois for the Senate. Or is Kelly Ayotte, who's in a tough fight against right. Maggie Hassan in New Hampshire. Or, or Rob Portman, who's going to be in a tough fight against Ted Strickland in Ohio. Or any of these Republicans who are on the ballot and who are in 50-50 states, are they going to now suddenly go, Ugh. Right. You know, if we get in the boat with Mitch McConnell and these guys on the Supreme Court, we're making it less likely rather than more likely, given the fact that Hillary Clinton's probably going to win Illinois. Right? Probably. Hillary Clinton may well win New Hampshire. Hillary Clinton may well win Ohio. These guys are putting their own potential re-election at risk. If they start the machinery and slow play it, like Jay said, what is, how does that play in the presidential race? What are you going to say? You know, I wish they'd move faster. That's not much of a fighting point. So I'm saying, though, they backed themselves into a corner by coming out like the day after Scalia died, saying, you know, we're not going to take this up. They should have just said, you know, uh, we're, we're, you know, Find us in a smoke-filled room somewhere. If we're going to be talking Kendrick about this. Lamar, we're going to oppose him. <laughs> right. Beyond that, we're going to wait and see. Yeah. Right. The the president also nominated five, four or five judges to fill empty slots in, in Texas, lower courts in right. Texas. Does that come into play at all? I mean, if they if they have hearings on these folks and they run them through and say, why you know why can't you do that for the SCOTUS nominee? I don't, How are the nominees? Did you, you pay attention to this stuff? They were uh, well. I mean, from what I understand, there's they. He nominated five, so that would fill not even half of the empty slots, right? And I mean, this has been an issue in Texas a long, long I time. I believe they're names that have been at least looked at by uh, Cornyn and Cruz. Right. Um, you know, and not, you know, dismissed out of hand. Right. Uh, I mean, but, I, you know, the, the question is whether they become trading material, right. and that's that's kind of interesting. And whether you can do that in how many states, right? Right. I mean, everybody's always talking about, you know, these vacancies and backlogs and whatnot and, you know, these decisions that are pending. So it'd be interesting to see. Uh, it also lets the president say, you know, the Senate's not just sitting on the Supreme Court nominee. They're sitting on all of these, and these. I assume this is going on in a bunch of different states, right. not just Texas. So, um, interesting. So, um, you guys have been ensconced in a border project, and I wanted to talk about it partly just because it's interesting and partly because it's in the middle of or about to be in the middle of the presidential race. Right. Um, has been in the Republican side. I assume this is a running fight after the conventions. Um, so, tell us what you've been up to. Well, we're we're in sort of the thick of uh, this four-part project. Part one is pretty much out of the way. Uh, we focused on crime. 
um, trying to measure that, <clears throat> um, and um, now we're 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 moving on to the issue of corruption. Uh, we've got the issue of despair in the countries that are a lot of these people are coming from. Julian and I um, were recently with the Border Patrol in Star County, and and I I'm sure we haven't actually talked about this right. since we got back, but I was struck with how first of all the Rio Grande Valley is the epicenter of undocumented immigrants coming across and a lot of dope as well. Um, and on this ride along with the Border Patrol, we saw uh, ev all of the above. Uh, we actually, our photographer was about 20 to 25 feet away from a boat uh, that was un in which a couple of guys were unloading uh, big packets of marijuana. Um, you know, close enough to hear the thump of the packages. You say, you say packets is more like bales, right? You, well, um, what would you call them? Are they they're I mean, bundles or bales? I mean, yeah, I don't know yeah. the, the exact measurement of a bale, Bigger but yeah, they're not. Box. Yeah, yeah, it's not something you get through FedEx, but it's you know, I, right. I mean, it was. I mean, they were. <laughs> it's not a dime bag. No, it's no. not a dime. What's like, a dime bag? I don't even know what that is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's it's what they put older reference in. lost oh, on your okay. coins. It's yeah. coins. It's coins. Yeah, I remember when the dime thing. bag used to cost a, a dime. It's yeah. a term anyway, of art for bank. Uh, so no, but the, at the weighing station or at the at the in the evidence room, you know, the border patrol guys were like lifting them up just to you know kind of like playing around. And I mean, one of them was twenty pounds, thirty pounds. Anyway, it was a quarter of a million dollars all told for Mexican street weed. So that's I mean cheaper, and that's a lot. You know, so that's a lot of dope. But um, what struck what struck me and what struck Jay and I and I and we're hoping that we got this on on tape is we come across about what was about 15 um, combined family units and unaccompanied minors and while they're getting processed um, you know their names and you know their information the dispatch literally is saying is there anybody in Roma right now he's got we got three boats in the water is there anybody and here? And three boats, not 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 three border patrol boats. No, three, three rafts. Three, three rafts. Three rafts. Of, three rafts people of people are dope. coming across. Bales, bales right? Potter people. We don't know. No. I mean, the thing is, is that you, you really get the feel of this cat and mouse game. I mean, it, it's in Roma, Roma, Texas. Roma, Texas. Where is Roma, Texas? Is in Star County. It's near. It's a little bit That's further. That's the one that was underwater at some point. Is, Am I remembering some historical Well, well thing? they're underwater with smuggling. That, oh, that, that, nice, nice pivot. Right, yeah. Yeah. As, as Obama would say, nice segue. No, no Progresso, I think, is the one you're talking about on Closer to Falcon. But. Yeah, no, but but so there's the, the land sort of juts out uh, with the river. There's a big bend in the river, and, and, and it's really, it sits right on the water. Like, there's a dollar general that you could you could get to the bank you could get into the water of the rio grande with what two minutes maybe from the dollar general walk out of the dollar general and two minutes right. later you're in the you're in the river so and you hear dollar general coming across the radio because it's like we think they've slipped into the dollar general that's a reference uh, point it's right a, it's exactly and there's right? a there's another place called the purple house because right. there's a house and it's purple like we're by the purple house so you know we'll go over to the purple house and we we think we see a raft coming over and julian and i julian and i and martin the photographer are you know sitting there waiting for something and then you'll hear on the radio there's a huge a bigger raft right. going somewhere else so did and they know so it's all diversionary it's yeah. all, a lot of it's diversionary right. they have scouts i mean they're people that are that were you know the border patrol told us have you noticed this guy keeps following us and and then they're pointing you know? across the way to folks like spotters on the rooftops so i mean it's then, then you know, early early afternoon, uh, late morning, early afternoon, they say, well, there's not a lot of action right now because the boats are in the water. The the border patrol boats are going up and down. They're like, but once once those dock, then they'll come across. Law so what's law enforcement boats? Well, mm -hmm. so 
next question, obviously, is like, well, why don't you always why keep aren't the they boats always on the water, in the right. water, you right. know? And, and I think that the response sort of ties into the fact that, like, there's so so much, so many levels and so much bureaucracy and red tape that they got to get through. He's like, well, we don't have the manpower. I mean, there's at least 3,000 agents in the Rio Grande Valley sector. This is Border Patrol, is not DPS. No, this not, is, yeah. Right. yeah. And then so, and then we go to the evidence room or to the sector when they're wearing all the pot later, and then you see the boats just parked there. So it's like, well, you have, you have the boats. He's like, well, we don't have enough people trained to use them. We got to send them to Florida, and if they fail, then we lose good agents and this and that. So, I mean, the last time I, I don't know, 2015, but 2014, the, the most expensive line item in the federal budget was immigration enforcement. So, this is a semi-rural area. Is there a city anywhere near the Rio Grande City? Rio Grande City in Roma, what, 20 minutes from there. 20? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. A and it's maybe 30,000 people. Is it even that big? No, Rome, I think, is like 10 or 12, yeah. probably 10 or 12,000 people. But I mean, it, like he said, what we so we were. This was nightfall. It was maybe eight o'clock. Storm was rolling in. We're, we're walking down this Caliche Road in, in a wildlife refuge, maybe two or three hundred yards from the river, and we see fifteen people walking down the road toward us, mostly children. I interviewed a twelve-year-old girl who had so much courage and so much moxie, and she told me that the smuggler dropped her off, her and her brother, her nine-year-old brother and her seven-year-old cousin, dropped them off on the Mexican side of the river, put her in a raft and said, bye-bye. And she was very surprised and, and disappointed in the smuggler that he had left her to her own devices. And she said she wanted to be a doctor and was looking forward to meeting her mother and father for the first time because she had seen him when she was a three or four-year-old girl and didn't remember it. Um, and it was just, it was heartbreaking, but I was struck with how much, I mean, they had traveled seven days from Guatemala and, um, they stayed, I said, well, where did you eat? And she was like, well, we ate on the bus the whole time. Yeah. They never got off the bus. And then they get off in Miguel Aleman, which is right across the, this, the Mexican town on the other side of Roma. Mm -hmm. Um, and just, you know, to, to imagine that you would put your kids in the hands of a smuggler uh, and go 1,200 miles and then cross the river on your own. I mean, imagine if that's your own kid, right. you know, just an amazing thing. But while we're interviewing them, and the Border Patrol processes, and they give them the little plastic bags that say Homeland Security, they put their belts, their money, their jewelry, their shoelaces, because they don't want anybody to, you know. It's to either run away or to hurt themselves with their shoelaces. Right. And um, and so and and the, everybody has to get processed, and that takes some time. While that was happening, the radio was like off the rails. Like we got a bailout, we got people loading up. You know, you know, immigrants loading up into vehicles. It was like really on. The game so, was so, on. They, they so told us are... at one point there were seven boats on on the water coming across. It was just like push them out, push them out, push them out. So these guys are watching the water and listening to the radio over on the other side. Call, yeah, and, yeah. I mean, calling plays over there, right? Probably, and then just kind of looking out to see where you're. I mean, we we came across five, and they can't do anything until they reach the U.S. shore, right? So there were five; they were still in the water. They saw us, then they swim back across. The border patrol agent is telling them, "Hey, man, you know, there was there was four men and one one female. She's lagging behind because she can't swim." So the border Slaying. patrol agent is yelling, "Like, hey, at least go back for her." And then you got the scouts on the other side say, "Leave her alone." And then there's, I mean, they're saying "Chinga tu madre" to the border patrol agents. I mean, they're they 
they taunt them, you know. And mm-hmm. then the border patrol agent is like, "This is why, you know, we get so we get in so much trouble for like roughhousing these people because we don't know what's coming out." I was like, "He's like, and you know." And then their story is like, "There I was on the banks of the river, just praying to the Virgin Mary," and a border patrol agent just sort of tackled me. But so the border patrol can't do anything until they touch dirt on until, this side. until they climb up. Yeah, so and they're not obligated so to go in if somebody's. Right. But they do. A lot of them they do. Go in to I, save a lot. I mean, you just right. you really you really get a sense for what these guys go through. But mm-hmm. you know, so so when Greg Abbott and 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 former Governor Perry said, and a lot of Republicans say, you know, the border patrol is they're so distracted by these these family units and these minors. You could see that actually being true. But on the flip side, the only DPS we saw that was involved in anything on the border, other than just being parked there looking for traffic violations, was one guy that was doing traffic duty. And I asked him, I said, did they flag you down, the, the immigrants? This was at the side of the road, another instance where there was about seven of them. Right. And he's like, honestly, I saw I saw three white border patrol agents. So I turned around and asked him if they needed help interpreting. And that's exactly what happened. So he hands it off to Border Patrol. So two years ago when I was down there, DPS was in the water. DPS had a bunch of dope. DPS was in the air. And then now it seems like even with all this surge, DPS is doing what a lot of people are saying that they're doing and they're getting criticized for. You know, so it just seems like a lot of, you know, I, I, again, 12 hours with, with the Border Patrol doesn't make us an expert. Right. But, you you know, you sort of kind of get little little bits and pieces of what these guys go through every day. And. And they're savvy, you know. I mean, with the Mexican kids, they have to they question them to determine if they're lying and saying they're Central American, you know. One of the Border Patrol agents asked this kid, he's like, Tres pisto. Pisto in, in Mexican slang is booze. In Central America, it's money. So as soon as he asks that, he starts tapping his pockets. And he's like, okay, you know, he's a Central American kid. And, you know, it's just like street smart yeah, stuff the, like that. They, that they, they know do. how to, because a lot of... How to suss them out. Yeah. Right, yeah, because, you know, the Mexicans a lot sometimes will say they're Central Americans. And... They get a different kind of treatment, and they're like they they, they have these little ways right. of figuring out if they're telling the truth. Or but not. I mean, you come across something like there was the one kid that you know hardly that his he wasn't comfortable speaking Spanish, and you think you know why? Well, because he still he grew up speaking a Native American dialect. You know, it's just I mean, it's it's really interesting to be down there and and sort of say you know you kind of you were happy that it started raining, the kind of you know just in case you get misty, I'd be like, oh no, that's the rain. I'm not getting teared up because. It's, I mean, it's rough to talk to So is there a connection that you see? I mean, is there any kind of a solid linkage that you see between what you're actually seeing when you're reporting and what you're hearing in the political races? And I know there's always a distance there, but I'm just curious about it since it's such a Well, I'm glad you asked that because to me, I'm struck with, you know, having spent most of my career as a political reporter, although, I mean, I did, I've done a lot of border and immigration stuff. I covered the, the 06 elections in Mexico, presidential elections. So this isn't my first uh, rodeo covering this kind of issue, but I'm struck now as I was struck then by the how big there's a disconnect. There, there's a huge disconnect because we talk about immigration being the number one issue. And in fact, I was with Chris Perkins, uh, one of Ted Cruz's pollsters, and he was saying that you know, immigration far and away in Texas is the number one issue. And yet when we write about this and talk about this, people don't, if it doesn't fit into their narrative, um, then in some ways they're not all that interested. There's not a huge market for what I think is a very vital thing, which is the, uh, you know, unbiased information. There's not a huge market for that. People want to hear what they want to right. hear. And, and right now um, on, on the in, in the presidential race, you basically have I mean, Hillary Clinton said essentially don't deport anyone unless they've committed a crime. Well, that, that would uh, uh, 
violent criminals and terrorists was what she said. We're not right. It's a complete break from the Obama policy. Total break. Right. And, and I mean, and the message that that sends to people in Central America is come on over. I mean, on it, it, it does. And, and, on, and on the Republican side, it's it's no leniency for anyone. Lock everyone, you know, deport everyone. Don't and come so on down. The gap has, yeah, the gap has right. never been larger. And they're talking past each other. And there really needs to be a political solution to this. And so I, I'm obviously very passionate about this project bordering on insecurity that we're working on. And I do think that when we get to the end of this at December 31, you're going you're gonna to know what's going on on the border. You're going to know what's going on in the countries where we're getting a lot of the migrants from. And you're going to have an idea about what some of the potential solutions are. And by that time, we'll also have a decision probably Maybe, maybe not. I mean, I guess it's it's more likely than not. But on the Adapa case, Adapa DACA case, the Supreme Court's going to hear that April 18th. This is this briefly. is the, the President Obama's uh, you know deferred action that would expand the current deferred action for childhood arrivals that was implemented in 2012, and then you know expand that to include most of their parents, which would give them. Um, not legal status, not citizenship, but just a reprieve from deportation and, and a renewable work permit or allow them to apply for that. Um, so that's, I mean, that's going to play out big time. You know, that's I mean, where it, now that's at the Fifth Circuit? Uh, that's going to, the Supreme Court's going to hear that April 18th. Right. Okay. Um, and then, so they should have a decision by June. But even if it goes the president's way, you know, how many of these folks are going to sign up for something that's going to, that could go away in six months, you know? Their information's out there now. They're going to get, you know, really paranoid and skeptical. Let's, so we'll let's wait, wait for the November elections. Yeah. On that note, we will end this. If you have questions or comments, email them to tribcast at texastribune.org. You can also sign up for Tribcast Alerts at texastribune.org slash tribcast. Uh, tickets will be online in about a month for the Tribune Festival, which has been set for the 23rd, 24th, and 25th of September. Putting together a list of people for that, so keep that on your radar. We'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music on behalf of Evan, Julian, Jay, and our producer Todd. This is Ross. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Texas talking. Despite a good reason. I'm first bite.